right. Welcome back to the Spinner Rack. This is Stephen. And Andy. And uh, welcome back to the Marvel New Universe podcasts, where we go through the New Universe comics, uh, one at a, two at a time, every week in the order they were released. Today we'll be going through Starbrand number three. And oh, that's me. I missed my cue. <laughs> uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, also number three. So we've made right. it into the threes. So before we uh, begin our issue discussion, we wanted to have a quick discussion about uh, what we've seen so far and a couple of aspects of it. Um, I guess the first question was how we look at the new universe in terms of world building. How have the um, editors and authors been um, building up a new universe from scratch? And uh, what do we think their approach is and how successful has it been so far? Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I could start, you know, the, the thing that I was thinking about initially uh, with the way the world was built here is, you know, again, so the idea is you're in 1986, your comic book world is 1986, right? So nothing terribly strange other than the fact that all these, all these people have powers. So there's a lot of pop culture, 80s type connections we've made as we've read the stories. Um, and for the most part, you know, what I've noticed is, because we can talk about the characters, but the, the villains are kind of important too, right? There's no aliens, there's um, not really much in the way of, well, I mean, there are some aliens, um, and there's, but there's not magic or sort of too many fantastical elements. Most of our villains are uh, evil corporations, um, which is a pretty classic 80s theme anyway. Um, you know, so we've got Crotzy Industries and Spitfire and behind them, the infamous The Club, which we'll learn a little bit more about today. I mean, it sounds menacing, right? It's, uh, I, I keep picturing a bunch of like older guys sitting around, uh, like shooting the bull. Yeah, leather chairs and cigars and... Ho, 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 welcome, Farnsworth. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty evil to me. <laughs> right, so, yeah, so... The Psy Force is dealing with the government and you know the Russian government. Um, Kickers has the Fist, which is, for all we know, sort of a terrorist organization uh, with nefarious plots. Uh, Conquest Dynamics is probably a fun name. Uh, again, sort of an evil corporation that Conquest is not just their name; that's their goal. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens to be run by. Uh, Aliens who hate Tenson, our uh, hero in Conquest. Uh, and of course, DP7 has the clinic, um, which... Which is a front for the agency. Yeah. So, so we got the clinic, the agency, the club, right? Lots of buzz. Uh, yeah, but I like that. Of... I, I like that it's um, sort of realistic villains um, haven't had like a true like Lex Luthor type, you know, and super powered antagonist per se just yet. Um, it's more uh, organizations that are, you know, interested in people with powers or interested in what's going on. Uh, even Merc kind of has like, you know, shady 
government powerful power broker types that are uh, causing problems but again we're only just getting introduced to those yeah i think the yeah so the remit for the new universe of course the world outside your window not a lot of uh great you know over the top superpowers so the marvel main universe looks more like a wrestling competition with everyone in flamboyant costumes and sort of shouting about their powers all the time and things in comparison to something that's very low you know toned down it has the feel more of a tv show or a movie that you would see in in that kind of time period um so i'd, I'd send andy a, a old uh, magazine article about how um like role-playing games um the the game master has to should sort of set up a a superhero campaign and having to balance out powers and enemies and a good location and things like that are all um i don't know how much um you know the editorial staff at marvel took that that um i think they the writers sort my observation will sort of think of a story and then you know sort of modify the world to fit the story they want to tell and so it kind of falls on the editors to kind of put these things together so they're not sort of all going a hundred different directions if they want to like have a unified um imprint you know a cohesive new universe they need to you know, not let one uh, comic sort of dominate the others and they have to have reasonable uh, opponents to each of the characters. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's felt a little, um, you know, like the CIA, FBI, NSF, NSA or whatever. Is yeah, the NSF, he snuck the National Science Foundation in there. <laughs> I don't trust them either. Right? Um, they never they... give me any grants. <laughs> NIH, uh, you know, they're a bunch of bums too. <laughs> this uh, presentation on grant writing today, I don't know if you can tell. They start talking about that all the time, though. Please edit it out. Um, <laughs> fix it in post. Fix it in post. The, um, so, I mean, the new universe, if you um, were sort of uh, hoping to get a very consistent thing, um, I mean, it's individually, um, the books have their own voice usually, and that's good. They generally fit together. I'd say maybe six out of eight of them seem pretty um, mainline. And then there's a couple that are um, sort of harder to put together with the others. Um, I mean, like we said before, Starbrand, the power level is significantly higher than any of the other books so um. yeah and his power even isn't quite like white event related like the paranormals in dp7 right so a lot of our uh, uh super powered people were all because of that white flash whereas he used, his was maybe kind of sort of related it's still sort of mysterious at this point um but yeah it's uh I think it's probably helped along by the fact that it's written by a bunch of editors too, right? Or like people who have editing experience and a lot of the writers are the creators, the 
you know the brain trust that got together to kind of plan it out so presumably they have a good had a good working relationship and you know two issues in you know we shouldn't have strayed too far away from the master plan at this point yet right so yeah i mean that's true i i I would guess they didn't have like a master plan like you know tv shows now do where it's like i've got a plan for five seasons and spinoffs and blah 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 and everything's progressing a storyline but i think in you know 80s it was still very much like month to month and you know uh just just having constant adventures starring these characters was the the goal not some telling a a a vast epic that you uh had as your frustrated uh fantasy novel that you never got uh published but just a thought yeah well we might see that soon i don't know we uh i i would say you know as we said before this new universe was probably the first you know started from scratch imprint self-contained comic book universe and um several like subsequent attempts at that um seemed like to not learn any lessons about yeah. how to you know have, kind of have things uh, i don't know um, yeah. balanced at least you know or diversified or things like that yeah i wonder if you'd almost just again like i think they're better at it now to a degree but even things like the ultimates universe kind of like kind of goes off the rails a little bit like i wonder if you'd almost need like a writer to tackle the whole thing right so like just somebody who's right there with his hands in every piece you know rather than even an editor um, and i imagine a lot of it just kind of falls victim to yeah comics right i mean deadlines gotta knock them out every month you know. getting them out every month i can I, i've come to appreciate that more and more like getting something on the stands every month must have been a real struggle a lot of times um especially in these before everything was on a computer uh days they they were doing a lot of um the pre-publication was just you know several intense jobs and running around constantly and if these yeah. huge presses so if you didn't have the book ready to go at the right time it's a lot of money yeah you can't just email it to your editor and email it to the colorist and that stuff so um so far um i i would uh you know I, I would neither say it was a great example of world building but it's not a cautionary tale either i think they did i you know sit down and give it thought and like everyone in the same room sort of talking out things and that's the sense i get so yeah they've definitely stuck to their premise pretty well of again the world outside the window uh pretty well um and again though we're only two issues into all the series as far as things go and you know i like that the heroes which are really not really heroes they're more just our main characters in all of this are a little more realistic like they don't really wear costumes Starbrand kind of has a costume but it just kind of looks like a jacket um kickers inc and night mask are maybe the only costumes but you know night mask is just <laughs> dressed up like that in the dream world and the kickers can't even agree to wear the uniforms <laughs> 
Yeah, they kept it. nice little detail. They're like, oh, are you, you're not going to wear the the jumpsuit? Hey, who said we were wearing the jumpsuits today? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. good moments with that. Um, a little bit of humor, I think, in in terms of like having superhero standards and tropes um, referred to, but like the characters not jumping on them. Like, all right, now is my chance to wear a costume. Yeah, so. no capes. Um, so let's see. The other question was what characters are standout characters so far? Mm, I've got a top three. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, you want to do them one at a time and take turns? Uh, or you want me to just rail, knock them all out? I might steal I'll let you all knock of them all out. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, so when it, when it first comes to mind, I think Wayne from Cyforce. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cool characters, but the, you know, prototypical teen who's mad at his dad times 10, right? <laughs> I mean, I hope it doesn't change. We really, we got two issues and it's been one continuous story uh, involving hauling a dead Native American across town, but like he's so angry, I love it. He just yells at everyone. You know, I don't think he's starting to soften at all. Uh, just a lot of shaking his fist in anger. So Wayne is great. <laughs> um, my my number two, I I give as a duo, um, and maybe maybe it's a little bit of a cop out. Maybe not the most developed characters, but. Um, from DP7 number two, I really liked Bloodhound and Shrapnel, two of the hunters that were tracking down our displaced paranormals, just because of their totally awesome and ridiculous powers, you know, explosive <laughs> ectoplasmic pimples <laughs> with Shrapnel and Bloodhound who can smell movement, right? So I think like... You, know, you can he, smell more than movement. It's right? not just movement. But, yeah, this is true, right? He can. That, that was that the is, moment for me, though. Is like this guy's cool, you know. So green fatigues, you know, aviator shades, you know, he can smell you from a mile away and and tell if you just tried to stand up. <laughs> so I think he's smelled Daredevil. So I like those two characters a lot. Um, and then the obvious one though is uh, Mark Hazard. I think is the standout of the um, the main characters of these. Just these super prototypical 80s tough guy but not really in a cheesy way like it just works like he's he's got all the best parts of the uh corny 80s action heroes um, where he can just stand there and intimidate people and people don't aren't too surprised when he just goes to a kid's baseball game and everything gets all shot up <laughs> so yeah i think he's a cool character that was my top three which i squeezed four in um, honorable honorable mention goes to duck duck is great yeah i uh, uh what's wrong with vice versa i, I don't get it yeah <laughs> she's okay <laughs> it's okay um let me see i think the uh yeah the characters that are memorable for me i would uh, also give a vote for ducky i don't know why but um that that i mean i still remember ducky as, as as a character you know before we even started this from my memories of um 
ages ago reading this. I, she had a very, um, uh, yeah, like a um, 80s movie character. I can't quite remember. Maybe Annie Potts in, um, oh, that Molly Ringwald movie or John Lovett or no. Oh yeah. John, what's his name was, there was a character named Ducky, I remember. But that, that was, was the uh, Pretty in Pink, right? Pretty in Pink, that's right. Um, let me see. John Cryer. John Cryer, I'm sorry. He had a, like a top rated sitcom for a decade. and I It wasn't very good though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, I think the, uh, another good background-ish character who seemed to have potential was Lita in uh, the, the physical therapist in oh, the yes. mask. She seemed like funnier and kind of tougher than the main character. So yep. I'm hoping we'll see more of her. Um, the troubleshooters, Psy um, Force, Kickers. A lot of the team books are still kind of finding their footing. But I'd say DP7, um, David always sort of stuck out to me mastodon yeah the very like grounded down-to-earth like working class guy and um he always like ha has a um, very um, relatable quality yeah say. yeah totally yeah he's i think though they sort of I don't know if they even did. I mean, it's kind of set up, at least in the beginning, like the doctor, uh, Randy, is going to be sort of the leader. Um, but he isn't necessarily yet. And, and yeah, I think... Uh, I think the end uh, has... It's more rational, kind of... He's almost sort of at least equal at this point. Yeah, Randy is a good... Um, but he's not as, like, obviously... Um, paranormal i guess as uh, david so you kind of uh he has a bit of a sympathy factor as well perhaps um, yeah. yeah it's tough because there's, there's a lot of fun characters um Skuz, dennis kaczynski in dp7 who's also kind of got the punk team thing going on you know he's pretty great the the kickers um aside from jack are you know they, they kid around with each other a lot like kind of a group of pals slash co-workers that's a nice it's a nice uh, vibe you have with them yeah deadbeat scientist bro is is most my favorite character from kickers number one but he didn't last very long so <laughs> <laughs> they just stole um, his lab as their base and don't really seem to care that he died but there was a there was a, a very minor character, the Dragon Lady from uh, Justice Number One, um, who who doesn't seem to be on the the list for for future appearances. Um, Justice himself, I still have a soft spot for. Um, we'll uh, we'll see how that uh, the series goes with that. Um, but as main characters. Um, yeah, Justice is such a kind of a strange guy. This um, with like uh, you know a high body count, but still like a, a sort of positive and uh, <laughs> innocent yeah. quality. It's a it's little not, unusual. It's not his fault that he's programmed to kill anyone who glows with a green aura, right? It's just <laughs> it's just the way it is. Accept it, people. 
I blame society. Right. My society, which you've never heard of. <laughs> um, Boy. So. Yeah, no. Oh. There's a lot of great characters. So it's a good sign of, uh, you know, you don't feel like it's too samey, samey, certainly. Like the mm-hmm. books, the characters within the books, you know, they've, uh, some of them pop more than others, but um, yeah, they're, they're, there's a limit of, um, you know, feeling like, oh, this, I, these guys are interchangeable. Usually you don't feel that way. So, yeah. We're done. New universe. You all should go and read it and continue okay. to listen to this podcast. You have been programmed. So, shall we start with uh, the books? Yeah, star brand number three. Take it off the spinner rack. <laughs> the uh, Marvel checklist for this issue was it's hard to keep the star brand a secret. A ruthless foreign dictator wants it, and no one's going to stop him. Man. So this uh, star brand number three, the cover is uh, sort of a nice action scene scene of um, Ken um, flying into a jet fighter in a mountain area, and he's tearing the wing off of the uh, fighter aircraft. Um, he's in his um, biking slash superhero costume, um, and there's no like other people visible or anything. Um, there's not. I can't read the penciler credit on that. Um, so to go to the first page, which is not a splash page, no. we have the title "Close Encounter." And we have very obviously a new penciler, at least. The artist yeah. is uh, much different from John Romita Jr., who is probably the most stylized, uh, recognizable style um, that we've seen in the new universe. So it starts off with Ken uh, hitting his alarm and getting up in the morning and looking at his hand, which has the star brand on it, and then walking into the room and crushing his, one of his barbells and saying to himself, it wasn't a dream. Did I say the title was Close Encounter? You did now, at least. I did now. So we have a, a very uh, brief um, credits at the top of the second page. It's still Jim Shooter is writing, but Alex Saviak is the penciler for this issue. Um, Saviak, uh, I looked it up a little. Uh, he, he had been at DC for a while from the 70s. And he had just uh, apparently moved over to Marvel. And so he um, had done a lot of mid-level DC stuff for five to 10 years and um, is now destined for another 10 plus years at uh, Marvel, again, doing sort of B-level B work. Um, yeah. So this, the is, style this is, is only issue of uh, Starbrand, so we don't get to see him again. We're not going to see him again. So it's a it's a reasonable uh, style. It's you know easy to to tell what's going on most of the time, but um, it uh, it doesn't really stand out in the the way Romita Junior does. So bit of a loss there. So 
Yeah, I don't think it's a too big of a step down. Like, there's definitely some some of the characters and the faces and the details and such aren't quite as nice. Uh, but it's not not a huge like, ooh, what happened kind of piece. <laughs> and uh, apparently, he landed on Web of Spider Man for like seven years. So you know, this is early Marvel, and then he was a pretty regular uh, penciler for quite a while. Yeah, just no. out on the new universe, some less popular uh spider-man character i've never heard of hmm. um, so we start off with ken going driving to work um it's a little generic um but uh he's at uh, mcmullen and zare this vw shop that they mentioned in uh, issue number one and uh starts off with um the guys that he works with, uh, John Eberhardt, um, and a guy named Rick, who's also a young guy, and a woman named Joan. And they're all sort of uh, kidding him and asking him about this new tattoo that they saw on his hand. And uh, I don't know anything about that. Hmm. Um, we're, we get the first uh, case of... Um, people asking him what he's doing with his life kind of he's uh john his boss says oh he's probably out partying all the time and getting tattoos he's going to end up in a bad way he's, shame of it is he's a smart boy not like rick <laughs> this is one of rick. several times people will refer to uh, ken connell as smart in this issue right it's really this how is i'd yeah, this is the I'm wasting my potential issue, right? Wasting your potential. Yeah, it uh, it comes up a couple of times, um, and uh, so, but Ken uh, is the the thing that really struck me about Ken is I had thought he was a mechanic, and he's just sort of detailing the car. Oh, so yeah, they ask him, um, "You're still polishing cars? It's a shame." Is it, oh, and Ken is twenty five. He's still pretty young, but you know, he's, he's getting out there. I don't know. Plenty of good years left. Plenty of good years left, but I got us. I'm still kind of disappointed that look is um, not a little bit more like you know skilled at this point. I don't know. Yeah, he's just. Uh doesn't care that much i guess right i mean he's just kind of cruising around he's got his own place got like six or seven girlfriends yeah i mean I, yeah compared to to most guys at that age especially good looking ones i don't know how much i should expect but so uh we go on to lunchtime and ken sees that no one's uh watching him he flies right up in the sky and uh, thinks he will go visit his friend Myron. He pops into Myron's, who's a therapist of some sort, um, while there's a patient there who's telling Myron something about his boring problems. Myron is always doing some strange thing. And in this case, he's making Kool-Aid. Yeah, he's um, got a shirt on and he's not in the backyard, so... It's probably one of his more professional therapy sessions. <laughs> yes. 
So the guy who, the patient there says, uh, hey kid, how you doing? Still cleaning cars, huh? Really just pushing that cleaning car thing there. And uh, you, you like doing that? You seem like a bright kid. Uh, it's okay, I guess, for now. I don't know. I, I, I remember a guy who dropped out of my high school and like he was at a, like a car wash the next time I saw him. And I was yeah. like, that has depressed me for decades now. I have the same memory, but of a kid working at a gas station. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Ken asked Myron to uh, take a minute and talk, and uh, he comes along and they go into another room. And um, Ken um, says that he's only told Myron and Duck about this. And uh, he says, and she isn't exactly Einstein, you know? Ouch. Oh, man. Yeah, right. Who is this? Who are you to talk, Ken Connor? But um, he, he recaps a bit of the first couple issues about how an alien, he met an alien who gave him this star brand that has powers. Um, he mentions that he can lift a mountain or vaporize a city. Um, I can do anything. So what am I doing? Hiding the power and reconditioning cars. And then Myron, I see. Well, first let's get one thing straight. With your brains, you always could have left the VW place for greater things. And again, with the potential, this is a bit like four, -ish, four pages in. Yeah, they're hammering and, the poor guy. Aaron. So he says the power doesn't change the equation. So, um, Second, what do you want to do? What do you think you should do? And Ken just replies, I don't know, something important. And Myron you know, advises him to um, figure it out before he, he tells the world about it. So, and then Ken, um, also that he should be more careful about telling people and uh, his, his patient is acting suspicious. So. Ken sneaks around the back and flies off again and is getting uh, frustrated. Um, on the way back to the um, dealership or car shop, he says, I wish this blasted brand had come with an instruction book. And if we didn't mention it before, this is a very strong um, signifier for a TV show called The Greatest American Hero, which had come out a few years before that. Did you ever see? I know. I don't know that one. Oh, okay. It's uh, it's a guy who's uh, like a high school teacher, and he is given a suit of um, that has superpowers by some aliens. Um, this sort of this um, close encounters level sort of lights in the sky, but they're like, we've chosen you, and they give him a suit, and then he um, goes home and he leaves the instruction book. So it's oh. always sort of a combo of action with comedy because he's always like, I don't know how this works. And then like a new power develops that he didn't know he had or something. Mm. And that's um, convenient for writers. You can just kind of come up with anything. It was a, a fun show for a couple of seasons. Um, I think uh, they, they, you know, that, that, that's a bit of a, a similarity to these things to the, the new universe in that like it was a little more realistic than 
um, I don't know, 1960s Batman, but um, yeah. still like a, a little tongue in cheek at times. Um, there was like, he had a, a partner who was Robert Culp as an FBI agent. He was sort of the crusty down to earth guy and uh, you know, good, good background for a show. So Ken gets back to the, the car shop and um, he said, John Everhart also gives him a lecture about you should start doing something with your life. You're a smart boy. Again, he lectured him before and after lunch. <laughs> Come on, man. We get the point. <laughs> Can I just finish my day and go home, please? So he says, uh, he also says that I don't know what it is with you, Ken. You ain't afraid of nothing. Listen, you got to use the gifts God gave you. You owe it to the world and you owe it to yourself. You ain't afraid of nothing. Okay. Then. So know. Ken goes home. He must have noticed that while he was polishing the car. He <laughs> <laughs> saw a spider on that car earlier and Ken wasn't afraid of it at all. Now he's like. Um, so Ken uh, at home is uh, maybe having a beer and tells himself he's going to basically he he used to go for a drive and think before and now he'll try going for a flight and he does he goes way up he goes all the way to the moon and uh he goes around the back the dark side so aware that anyone with the telescope might be able to see him goofing around um it doesn't seem to take very long for him to get to the moon um you don't really have much of a sense of speed in some of these uh, transitions we've gotten this issue. Um, so he's walking along a plane and there's a large mountain right in front of him. And Ken uh, thinks about letting the power rise and vaporizing it. So he he's first takes off his clothes and puts them aside so he doesn't destroy them. And then naked Ken basically lets loose with this power. And in a couple of pages, uh, big spreads, um, yeah, he vaporizes the whole mountain. Yeah, so, it's like the slag pit. Yeah. He is, uh, I don't know, it's a, a demonstration, I guess, of the power, if you haven't been caught the last issue without um, sort of having a opponent though, it feels a little hollow, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know if they're just trying to catch us up to speed or just showing him venting uh, in this case. Um, but yeah, he's, he's still kind of just lost and annoyed. <laughs> Everybody's hassling him, oh, you're so smart. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to the 10th uh -huh. degree, because he's feeling like, uh, yeah, okay. So everybody thinks I'm smart. I got all these superpowers. I'm cleaning cars. I'm not doing anything. I should be doing something, but uh, I can't figure out what that something is. Yeah. And I mean, it's frustrating. Is, I guess part of the realism is that, yeah, superpowers might seem great, but I mean, to when people were talking the previous issue about what they would want to do to change the world, it's, you know, more like end apartheid or something. And, you know, things that you can't do with superpowers. So they're very, particularly the brand is, is a weapon. They've, they said that 
right up front. And so Ken can't even heal people like some of the DP7 and Cyforce uh, characters can. He can just destroy things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, wherever he goes, right? There's there's somebody out there, right? He can't walk, he can't show his powers. He can't really use them other than inside his house or up in the sky or on the moon. And yeah, he's only got a hand, handful. Only getting of more frustrating. Two people, yeah, two people know about it. So Ken gets dressed and goes, uh, takes off from the moon, but then he's like, no, I don't want to go home just yet. So he starts into deep space and there's not a lot of um, sort of- uh, Not a lot of landmarks. Yeah. So he's, he thinks he could, he gets pretty far away from earth moon, but he doesn't want to, you know, get lost. So he heads back, he sees earth there somehow. And he very quickly is, is re-entering Earth's atmosphere. He says, well, I better slow down. I don't want to burn off the clothes, which is good. Um, but uh, he gets back and he's in some mountains in Asia and he sees a couple of fighter jets and wondering what's going on, he tags along. And there we go. The fighter jets uh, unleash some bombs at um, some people on the ground in the mountains. And he's like, good heavens, those are Russian planes. This must be Afghanistan. Those Afghan ground troops don't have a chance except me. So Ken. <laughs> oh, good thing he saved those Afghan freedom fighters from the bad guys. This issue um... is dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen. Oh. <laughs> you can see uh, Muhammad Atta waving thank you from him for the crown. <laughs> well, so he parachuted yeah, out okay. Yeah, on the the cover we have um, him attacking these fighter jets, although he's not in the costume. Um, he just sort of rips them from the ground from below, and for one, and then the wing off on the other. And they, the pilots both eject, and he sees that, and it's like, oh, both pilots, okay, good. They probably figured, just figured they got hit by missiles, or they would swear to that anyway if they did see me. So he's probably right on that account. Yeah, I and mean, he, if you're flying along and there's a giant fighter jet shooting missiles at some people on the ground, I mean, that would naturally seem wrong to you, right? Just it, without knowing anything about the situation, you know, it would seem like, the plane is bad. The people on the ground are good. Of yeah, course, you, know, you get geopolitical, but if, if yeah. you're just Ken Connell flying through there. He represents America in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, he, I, I, I mean, yeah. So he, yeah, he has a power to stop people from hurting each other. So he takes that opportunity, which is understandable, as you said. Um, the, I don't think it, I don't think you use fighter jets to attack ground troops. So that part's a little off. It would be more like a helicopter or something, you know what I mean? A gunship. Yeah. If 80s action movies have taught me well, then that does sound more correct. I'm just assuming that they have, so. But um, yeah, not the last time we'll see um, 
the 80s-ness come through, I guess. So uh, next page, Ken is uh, flying and recognizes the east coast of the US. He must have gone way up uh, high altitude and come back down to get all the way, I mean, on the other side of the earth, basically, um, quickly. And then he starts um, following I-80 to 79 south to Pittsburgh. And uh, at this point, I think it's late at night, although the colorist has everything in daytime. Yeah. So I would think it would be easier to spot a major metropolis at night, you know what I mean? Like you just look for the like a major light source and head for that. But he um, does seem, he, they say he just gets home soon. When he gets there, uh, his friend Duck is waiting for him. She uh, said she was coming over to do her wash. Wash. <laughs> so uh, he meant uh, he's he decodes it for us. Oh yeah, the laundry. Oh yeah, the wash. Oh, okay. Well, she was coming um, over to do his laundry. <laughs> <laughs> right, like not even hers. It's just... Yeah, that's right. Do your wash. Yeah. So she's Since waiting, I'm doing mine anyway. Outside in the car for hours. Zilly shows up so she can do his laundry. That's yeah. With dedication. She, uh, she's a dedicated one. If uh, So Ken takes the opportunity to brag a little about his uh, sighting times in Afghanistan. Man, it was awesome, Duck. Two fighter bombers and went ram. Thank you, ma'am. They were scrap. Okay. Um, so they, they're talking and um, then Ken starts looking at the newspaper and then there's a scream. Kenny, what happened? Mm, paper cut. <laughs> so then he explains to her that the power only protects him when it's on. He just has to think it on and he just relaxed him in it a little there. Okay, now this is the part where it's concerning because, I mean, if you have to think about it constantly, then like flying up to space seems like your mind is going to wander at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I, I, I have trouble separating if we read it already, but I remember parts of the story where he's kind of worried about that. Like, you know, there's no air up here. If I let go of the power, you know, I'm in trouble. And at the bottom of the ocean too, I think. Uh, yeah. Last issue, so he's aware of that, but so like doing it for a long time, like before he was just doing it very quickly, I guess. And this is like a more extended thing. So, but um, I don't know. We'll maybe we'll see more of this later. But um, uh, Ducky well flirts with him a bit, and then the the newspaper um they notice a classified a big classified flying man i wait for you every evening at the place where you burned like the sun desperately need you help me please signed damsel in distress they mean me ben realizes this is probably a coded phrase for like his first uh, uh fight at the slag heap um yeah and uh Somebody must have seen it, unless you told somebody. No, Ducky hasn't sold anyone, and Myron hasn't told anyone. I didn't, I won't, as she says. Is she Scottish? I can't 
place that accent. Uh, like yeah. I said before, I thought maybe it was supposed to be a Pittsburgh accent, which Shooter would know, but I don't think that's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Ken just takes right off and uh, uh, tells her that uh, he has a date with his other girlfriend tomorrow. So. Which she, which Duck is okay with. She's fine. So a few minutes later, Ken's flying again, and uh, he finds a car by the side of the road with a woman um, on top of it, the damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. And as Ken will usually do when he's introduced to a woman, he will scope her out in the first panel. She looks Mideastern. Not bad. Tiny waist. <laughs> oh, Ken. Okay. We're on a roll so, from this point on, too. It just keeps going. Yeah. So the woman is, well, trying to get something out of him. She's like, oh, are you the one I'm waiting for? Mm, well, you must be something. So you fly, right? It's like, uh, what? Huh? What? Very noncommittal. She says, she's a student at Pitt, and, you know, I'm interested in flying or maybe my boyfriend put me up to this or maybe the cia investigated the slag dump yeah the story changes in three panels Uh, yeah it's just kind of rambling through excuse ideas it's a little like the um like john paul in justice number one where it was like the his plan was to be undercover and still and a double agent and a thing and you're like this woman's like uh, I'm scared of my boyfriend, but I'm also a spy, and maybe he's a spy, and I don't know. You know, like I guess that's all a pit education gets you. She uh. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't say CMU, really. Okay, <laughs> much more international over there. So, um, so yeah, she's she. Um, so she uh, says she, a trader in the CIA, sold this report to a uh, enemy go- government, which is strange to call your own government, um, <laughs> headed by someone crazy enough to believe in you. Since then, his agents, mostly students like my boyfriend, have been staked out around here. So there's, you know, the blurb said like a crazy foreign leader or dictator must have the power. And this is all we're going to see of it. So yeah, it's just really kind of a story from this crazy woman. So, yeah. um, either they faked this out or they didn't fit the story into the book. It's a, um, so it, it's, it's hard to tell what to think of her. And Ken is, is confused and is just, look, it's just a, a gimmick. It's a joke. It's not really what do you think? And I got to go. So he just uh, takes off. Um, she's like screaming to come back or they'll kill her or something um you're like okay i don't know what they're gonna do next evening the thornburg home of barbara petrovich um ken's other girlfriend one of the other girlfriends maybe the official girlfriend i think he's the open this is the open girlfriend like he take her to mother maybe kind of i don't know yeah like the i think she thinks she's his girlfriend yeah she definitely um, does not know about duck so she um she's impressed with flowers and her kids uh lori and bobby are there again from first issue 
remember they had had some trouble or hypnotized or something. And um, we see that they have, they have a babysitter for the night. And once again, <laughs> Ken yeah. internal monologue. Uh, Wendy says, uh, the babysitter says something to the little girl. Oh, coloring book. Oh, Lori, that's nice. And Ken thinks to himself, that's nice. <laughs> but to be fair, she's not wearing much more than like tight pants and a tube top. It's amazing. Um, yeah. So um, Wendy bids them uh, have a good evening. And uh, they head off to a place called Lounge 88 which um, I tried looking up. I couldn't find anything around here. It's uh, probably not a, uh, or if it is a reference to something, it's something from long ago now. Yeah, it looks uh, kind of like restaurant nightclub-y. Yeah, it's a kind of combination and we've got a, a crowd of uh, people dancing maybe and eating dinner. And um, there's a band, which is like a one-man band um, called Lenny Marr or something. Yeah. Standing in front of his sign. I imagine he does cover songs. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the hostess or waitress uh, seats them, and uh, we find that uh, she, Ken tells a little joke that he is um, six foot five, I guess. Five foot 17. Five foot 17. Ooh, that's funny. Um, so Barb's like, ooh, she's a knockout. What a cute figure. Uh, the hostess, uh, I guess so. <laughs> Completely downplaying the Connell gift for uh, scoping out any female. No, no, he did not. We did not get a thought bubble with him checking her out. So that's true. Maybe he saw her last time. It's a um, so he's a uh, he's like uh, she asked him about uh, the babysitter, and uh, she's like. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Remember, she's only 17. Ouch. <laughs> so he says, uh, yeah, give her a quarter and tell her to call me in four years, okay? Maybe in 29, maybe in 21. I tried doing the calculations for the, what is it, like half your age plus seven? Um, Ken's current age, he needs to date at least a 19 or 20-year-old. Huh? Um He's close. Close. But, um, so then, so Lori says that she is, will be 35 by then. So she is 31 now. So Ken is 25 and is, and Bar Barbara, sorry, Barbara is 31. That's, uh, that's kind of a gap for uh, a young guy. I got a, I was like, what's more normal, a 25-year-old to date a 31-year-old or a 17-year-old? They're kind of, yeah, yeah. neither one. <laughs> I mean, I think her being a single mom, it's probably the, the bigger jump too. Like if she was, you know. It's true. If she was never married uh, and just a little bit older, that'd be a little different than like, you know, running a household and has kids and all that. But Yeah. We definitely get the feeling that Ken is worried about sort of being more committed because of perhaps the kids mostly. Um, they the already got thing, one of them hypnotized by an alien, so <laughs> he's a risk. There's a risk. Um, their friend uh, Lenny comes over and uh, he has pictures of a new baby. 
Um, but uh, they talk about his wife and uh, Lenny's like, yeah, she's okay, great. And then he like goes over to make time with wait the hostess. I think that's the hostess from the beginning of the scene. Um, it's the same outfit. Yeah, there's also like an, maybe like the top um, of that page, it's uh, maybe the same woman in um, miscolored her dress or something. I can't tell. There's like one woman or two or three at this place, but. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There, there may have been a couple of coloring issues in this one, but. Yeah. It doesn't really um, affect much. It's mostly the day night, day for night uh, thing was the, the thing that was like annoying and, and it's, you know, I mean, it would be hard to see if you darkened all the pages. So I don't know. Yeah. And you got the impression that like Duck was there a long time and like kind of fell off sleep on his couch and like stuff. And it's just. So, so um, Ken is, uh, they're talking a little about how Ken feels um, like he doesn't want to accept responsibility unless he's sure he can handle it or that he's, you know, because he'll be very committed to it if he does. Um, so he's, he's also a little annoyed with Lenny flirting with this uh, hostess, which, you know, okay, Ken, whatever, man. <laughs> so they go uh, home and Ken walks uh, Wendy, the babysitter home. She apparently lives in walking distance. Um, she says, it's nice of you to walk me home, Mr. Connell. I was afraid walking home late at night. There's some real crazies around. Um, I looked up uh, where Thornburg is. It's a really beautiful looking suburb. Hmm. So um, uh, pretty nice area that they live in. But it uh, doesn't live next to Myron, I don't think so. <laughs> no, she uh, she heads inside and uh, Ken you know, says goodnight to her. So I think we discovered Ken's superpower is not hitting on 17 year old girls. Okay. managed to mostly pull that off though maybe since she lives in such a fancy neighborhood she was just making excuses to have time walking with him it's i mean women is, throw is themselves at, at ken so yeah i mean let's see so they and speaking of which the next panel ken is back at barbara's and she is um half dressed and very friendly so oh, yes, she is uh, very um, warm for uh, some physical affection, but um, he he's like still says, do you think really think I'd be good at well kids? She says, because you take it serious. Yes, because you take it seriously, because you can't turn your back on responsibility once you've taken it, which is why you're so cautious about accepting it. So that's the, the explanation for his constantly putting off um, change and growth. Um, she doesn't realize anyway. she just killed the date, though. Yeah, boner killer. He's like, I remembered something I got to take care of. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, because there's some real crazies around. So he drives out and then flies to where... Matahari, the spy is. 
finds the car. She's um, maybe hurt inside. So he tears the door off with the power and uh, pulls her outside. And she starts talking, oh, you didn't come. And my boyfriend beat me and blah, blah, blah. And they're around here and they'll, they'll see us. And then she he notices that, wait, that's not a bruise. It looks like makeup. And she's, she keeps talking, um, you know, take me to your place. Tell me about your power, show me the power. And she, he's like, oh, she's studying my face. Back I gotta off, get lady, out of here. I got a girlfriend, <laughs> two girlfriends. So she says, if you don't give them what they want, they'll be someone will be murdered every day. Then she shoots him. Yeah, twice. Bulletproof too. Good, fantastic. <laughs> I need to like have like a accent when I'm doing that, but I don't really know what accent to do. I know he said she looked Middle Eastern, but she's fair skin, blue eyes, and red hair. So I'm, I have trouble placing that one. So stupid idiot. Sooner or later, you are ours. He just runs off and then flies off. Great. So he gets home that night and Duck is there, of course. Gosh, I was putting the wash away. <laughs> and just sat down. So he's okay, Duck. Um, you know, it's a long story. Somebody saw what I can do and they saw my face. And he finally remembered her face. She's a foreign student. I actually met her once when Marvin took me to a Samovar club meeting at Pitt. So the question is, does she remember me? All of a sudden, this is a lot more complicated than I thought. A lot more. A lot more. Samovar Club, I would think, is a Russian thing? I looked up Samovar, and those are like super fancy, kind of like boiling water, tea kettle things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they seem to imply Russian. Yeah. But like, what would you do at the club? Just like look at pictures of them or, yeah, pour water? In yeah. Them? Maybe it's like a tea time for Russian interest group or something. Yeah, maybe. There's a um, certainly a lot of language students and a lot of um, foreign students at Pitt. Um, so they had mentioned earlier, I don't know if I, I, I pointed it out, but Ken is, yeah, did not go to Pitt, did not go to college at all. He just reads. He never, I've never seen a book in that apartment. So, okay. <laughs> the newspaper. He definitely reads the newspaper. Oh, I forgot to say that the newspaper is the big headline ever. Steelers win. It's like, yeah, that's the local. Oh, no, you missed the better headline. But on the other side is the very unrealistic Senate reform bill passes. <laughs> <laughs> that's like what one of the crazy world are they living in? The government that can pass <laughs> reform. Up is down. White is black. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. The, the, like I said, the spy woman is complicated and a little too complicated because you don't know to feel bad for her or that she's completely uh, corrupt herself. And Well, I think we were complicated maybe until she pulled the gun on him. Right. Yeah. At that point, we're we're pretty. I'm not buying the uh, "I'm in danger" story. So she's still out there, and it's um, possible she'll find him again. So we've got that as an opening. Um, a lot of internal problems with Ken, and a lot of thinking about things. So 
usually that's kind of dull, but you know, they, he does fly around a bit and do some stuff to demonstrate his powers. So it's not just pure monologue. I don't know. Yeah. If you um, take the moon out of it, right. Where he goes to the moon and uses his powers. I mean, it's a romance comic, right? Right. He's like, it's a normal guy. He's kind of at, at work. Kind of one girl, two girls, and then a girl. Yeah. Danger yeah, girl. Right. Yeah. Danger yeah. Girl. Yeah. Probably. And the art too is just like it's a little different, and like those panels with Barbara, um, you know, where she's half dressed is you know a lot of sort of like doe-eyed and kind of yeah, that's maybe like wow. yeah the sort of DC work that this artist had done before with maybe some Wonder Woman or some of the other female worker uh, superheroes. Um, so yeah, he has a good look for that. Um, attractive women is 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 a good skill to have as an artist for comic books um apparently people want to see it the thing i'd noticed in it was more uh, prominent in the past two issues with the other artist was that the um there's almost never any narration boxes in star brand is there'll be thought balloons, but it's never, they're never saying like at this time, Ken, you know, was thinking was, was going somewhere else or this other thing was happening or even just describing the situation. And um, with Ramita, it, the art was much more open. So it, it had like a touch more of that um, widescreen comics that we got sort of at the turn of the century with uh, like Brian Hitch, maybe, you know what okay. I mean? Um, because without I'm just nod my head on that one, <laughs> without a lot of um, sort of uh, the density of, of you know, word balloons and narration boxes and things that we get in some of the other books, it felt much more open. So the art didn't re doesn't really is a little more cramped with this artist. So it doesn't um, play up that aspect much. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot of more like faces um, instead of you know, big scenes. So um, overall, um, I, I can't tell, it's at this point that we we're, we're sort of really questioning shooters motives in, in writing this book this way. And like, is this his sort of therapy session for himself? Or is he unburdening something? Or is this just people he's observed over the years? And he's kind of um starting from there because people tend to think that a tall guy from pittsburgh ken connell is shooter and um i don't know much about his personal life yeah um, same. so it's it's a it's a good question when we see how um how ken acts around all these women who are throwing himself themselves at him uh, we should uh we should get him on the show <laughs> don't tell me hey, you never know you never know we can uh if we if i see a convention and that has any actual comic book people here we will take a look but yeah um good luck <laughs> good luck the uh anything else yeah, you want to say on star brand before we give it a letter grade and that's about all I had for today's uh, issue number three. Um, oh, next issue is 
um, paranoia, paranoia, paranormals, and the fight. Ooh. So paranormals. Will that be DP7 or other paranormals? Come back next month. Right. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. So it'll be a surprise for me too. I'm awesome. guessing it's not DP7 though, because they seem to be in the thick of trying to run away. Well, that, it that would kind of make their story a little disjointed, but it's uh, it, you would think they would also just say coming soon DP7, you know, but yeah, not, not necessarily. But it would it makes sense to have some of these paranormals that have popped up at the same time come out as you know and see how their powers fare against the star brand. So. Prediction, not well. Starbrand. <laughs> Probably roast anybody. Yeah. You know, I'll do respect to Bloodhound, Shrapnel, and vice versa, but I mean, maybe vice versa would have a shot. I don't know. Depends on how, how what what are the limits, you know? If a planet crashes into vice versa, right? Could she <laughs> repel the planet, right? Does she have infinite backwardsing power? <laughs> Maybe she does, you know, then I'll regret not putting her on my ranking. Yeah. We'll see. So let's see. Do I have a grade for this? Uh, I'll take it down to a... You were A last issue. Yeah. No other to say A minus or B plus. It's... uh, The art is, you know... It's okay, but it's not uh, not top quality. Um, story is there, but it's kind of treading water. It's it's the personal stuff. So I'll uh, I'll uh, a minus. I I still am enjoying it. It sounds like you're saying B plus, but I will accept your A minus. <laughs> it's a lot of like oh, these parts I didn't like, but it's still good. But yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of the criticism. It is kind of like a not a whole lot went on other than a little bit of, uh, you know, learning about the romances and such. Um, you know, he flew to the moon, got lectures about how smart he is, and, you know, well, backstory. You know, I, I'm happy with A minus there. Uh, I liked it, even though it didn't seem like a whole lot happened, right? Which is usually yeah. my criticism of a lot of the modern books I'm reading. It's like, all right, well, another four bucks, and like it feels like nothing's going. But you know, with the whole universe, you know, interesting characters, yeah, you know, I'm good with it for Starbrand. I, yeah, I think. I mean, we don't feel like the whole universe is sitting around, you know, staring at its own navel. Like every every character is like, mm, what should I do with my powers? Most of them are running away or, you know, have, have a very definite goal or something. So sort of, you know, a quieter uh, issue feels okay. Yeah. Yeah. Other than protecting his identity, though, there's not really much that can uh, put Starbrand at risk, assuming the, uh, you know, alien with the lasers from the beginning doesn't return. So it's a... Uh, it's funny that I, he's taken like no effort to like disguise himself or wear a mask or anything. Uh, yeah, he's relying heavily on the people don't look up trope. <laughs> That's very much. Yeah, very 
I'm always looking at the hawks around here, so I don't know. I would I would probably notice a flying person. That's probably how we're going to track down Jim Shooter. You'll see him flying around Pittsburgh. And then we'll know, like, you were writing about yourself, Shooter. We're on to you. <laughs> I've read your books. Uh, all right. Shall we be on to number two? Yeah. So let's take a short break and do Spitfire and the Troubleshooters number three. Break successful. Welcome back. Uh, we made ourselves laugh, so had to make a little pause there. <laughs> All right, so on to Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, issue number three. All right, so <clears throat> you want the blurb? Yeah, let's hear the blurb. Everyone wants the max armor, and only Spitfire can keep it away from them. See, Spitfire is the girl. That's what i've been saying all along right and it's the max armor it's not spitfire yeah it is a little confusing though maybe they should write the max big on the armor like right on the front or something <laughs> yeah so uh spitfire number three cover art you know you get a big shot of the robot holding what i think we find later is kind of like a welding laser a whole bunch of people uh opening fire on the, the max armor not spitfire and uh the armored sort of holding a, an unconscious man who looks like someone important military style right so we open counterattack. um so opening scene a big splash page we've got uh jerry conway on the script again and now we've got ron wagner for pencils um, I believe this was also his first and only issue of Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. Uh, fun fact about Ron Wagner, perhaps got scolded later on in his career for uh, adding little secret explicit scenes in the background of Morbius comics, if you can trust Wikipedia. <laughs> I tried and I could not find any examples on Google image search, but that's, you know, Maybe I had safe search on. I don't know what I don't know what he was drawing, but it's an interesting uh, way to go about your career there. <laughs> but yeah, so Ron Wagner draws stuff in the background. I did not notice anything in this comic, but maybe he picked up that skill later. Uh, so anyway, uh, we open with Jenny in the Max armor, uh, flying throughout the city. Um, basically kind of recapping what went on. So, and talking about also in part of sort of how difficult it is. So uh, to recap, Jenny's father built this armor, uh, was killed for it uh, and all of his secrets in his lab. Uh, Jenny got together her college student troubleshooters from the toot and uh, basically broke into the lab, stole the lab, stole the armor. It's been on the run since then. Last issue fought a tank uh, and fought it off. And now she's kind of, you know, ready to stick it to 
Fritz Krotsky, our villain, uh, sort of villain. He gets a little more villainous this issue. So um, that, that's where we're at. So flying, a uh, little encounter with a helicopter. Uh, our helicopter pilots decide, uh, you know, one of them says, what is that? They saw an armor and the grizzled veteran helicopter pilots like, what armor? It's like, I've been working doing this job for 20 years. I'm not risking my pension. For people thinking I'm crazy because I saw some kind of armor. <laughs> so nice little touch. But uh, so she flies off basically on the way to visit uh, Ed Giotti, the Eduardo Giotti, our uh, star, I think, of last issue because he developed the strong arms. So his powered, powerful arms. I wish we get a little fun sequel to this issue. <laughs> she flies by a Calvin Klein underwear ad and then remembers her ex-boyfriend, Bernie. Um, Maybe a little this bit. Was, of this really struck out at me some as a strange little scene. She's um, yeah, the Calvin Klein ad with like a half naked male model, and uh, that reminds her of this boyfriend Bernie. And I'm I'm wondering if this is like a red letter media calls it like a case of the not gays or something where they're like trying to uh, oh. show that this character uh, isn't gay. <laughs> Look um, at all these underwear model pictures I'm looking at. Clearly, I'm not gay. But uh, she, she also, it could also be like a future uh, uh, thing because we've got, uh, she says he's a lawyer in Baltimore. I wonder thought how he was, he's doing. I thought he was the guy on the billboard until she mentioned he was a lawyer. Yeah. 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 It's like, well, it's certain. <laughs> he better be good looking when he shows up here because, uh, you know underwear model is like oh yeah that reminds me of bernie <laughs> those taut abs remind me of my lawyer ex-boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> so yeah she's essentially she's unhappy right you know like her father has passed away she hasn't really solved that problem you know she's out crazy in the armor in the armor uh battling tanks her personal life's falling apart uh i don't imagine she's been teaching her classes um yeah, so yeah it's a leave mess. of absence time here. But yeah, this, uh, this one does not go as fast as like DP7 or Cyforce, where it's just two minutes later is the next, the second issue. It's been weeks uh, since these things have started, but uh, yeah, yeah, she hasn't resolved anything and it's you know, everything's still hanging out there. So yeah, I think we got, a, we got a two week kind of nod there uh, but yeah so she she goes to visit eduardo giotti and he's still our beat up troubleshooter uh he had the strong arms last issue and was trying to uh, spy on uh Krotsky's sort of goon who's controlling the death tank but they roughed him up pretty good uh, he's still in the hospital bed uh wearing some casts uh we get another call back to um you know He's sort of in love with her and, you know, other troubleshooters sort of know it. Um, she kisses him and gives him flowers. Yeah. Very, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I had a professor too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's probably not normal operating procedure. Um, 
But the other troubleshooters have a little toy battleship that they made a little gun fire on it, like a little plastic toy gun, uh, plinks it, and uh, accidentally uh, hits our Detective Sloan, who smokes a pipe and has a random balding man who doesn't say too much afterwards, right? So I think they were both in the first issue. Yeah, they mentioned that they were. I don't remember them from the first issue, so they didn't make much of an impact on the story. Uh, but basically, he's, he's there to question her about the lab. So he's not trying to solve Professor Swenson's murder and, in fact, says it was an industrial accident or, you know, just an accident. Um, you know, maybe not the best detective. Um, so yeah, he's looking for the lab and all the expensive, you know, files and equipment and important blueprints. And so she flips out on him. Is like, you know, you're looking for the lab. What about my father? Krotsky killed him. You know, do you have proof? No, I don't have proof. Yeah, but you can see yet, right? That he really hits that killed. That is like a, you know. Yeah, it's got a real smarmy looking face. Yeah, it's a su suspicious dude, although we don't really have any other reason to suspect that he's not an honest cop. But, right, I mean, he could be the guy who kind of, you know, she delivers the evidence to and free exonerates herself and, you know, gets Crotzy thrown in the slammer or maybe it's working for him, I don't know. But it's kind of a, a funky, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting look that he's giving there. It's, I think it's because there's no other words in that panel that it really sticks out. So yeah, that could be very much it. <laughs> everything else, they'll have like a whole conversation within a panel. But um, yeah, so so Jenny's mad. She kind of wants revenge on him and, and to kind of bust him for killing her father. Troubleshooters are with her on that for the most part. Um, and then we cut back to uh, Kratzy in his uh lab basically uh talking with a guy uh who we got bronson uh who was apparently the one in the very beginning who actually uh, used the prototype uh armor both to fight jenny and apparently to kill professor swenson right when so i first this is literally it, the guy who did who killed professor swenson yeah when i first read it i thought it was Kratzy himself in the suit in the beginning um, but I might have just missed a, a cue there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> he's, he's trying to blackmail his boss for money. It turns out to not be the world's best plan. <laughs> the st strategic defense initiative was the Star Wars program that was a big deal at the time. Oh, right. Good catch. That worked out, didn't it? Yeah. That, oh, I don't know. A good use of funds. The plan was to have, you know, space orbital platform-based lasers or, you know, energy weapons that could uh, stop incoming missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles. And uh, so we have like a very powerful laser facility in the Kratzky, Kratzky R&D building. Yeah, yeah, that's a great connection. I, I didn't quite make that. Um... And yeah, it's uh, so he's in the laser lab, you know, and, and maybe kind of a, a call to the fact that it maybe wasn't so much going to work or maybe maybe it would. Uh, you know, they mentioned the laser is powerful enough to melt through a sheet of tin in orbit. And I'm like, I'm like, that's 
good because it's a long distance, right? So it's hard to keep that much energy, but then also tin's pretty easy to melt. It's not like that impressive, but we do see it in action, this issue. So, um, so yeah, he's trying to blackmail. Uh, there's a nice little touch where um, Kratzi goes behind the little safety screen as he's arguing with him and starts pressing buttons. <laughs> and uh, our uh, Bronson is not really uh, paying much attention. He's like, oh, what? <laughs> and but yeah, Kratzi's firing up the laser, reflects it across a few panels, and basically blasts a beam right through the poor man's chest. Um, so yeah. <laughs> Uh, between that and uh, Professor Swenson, I think it's time to set the Kratzi International Days Since an Industrial Accident Killed Someone <laughs> Back to Zero. <laughs> so, and it's, uh, I got to say, like for this super powerful laser, you, you get like the whole punch through the guy, but it doesn't like incinerate him like uh, Justice's uh, sword or something. Yeah. But I think, yeah. And maybe just coincidental, and I'm you know making excuses, but again, that's kind of like like you said, if that's similar to the Star Wars program, you know we're we're developing these things. It's just there's not a whole bunch of laser beams and sci-fi kind of equipment in our world in 1986, so sort of believable, um, maybe. But I don't know. I mean, can we even do that with lasers at this point? I'm not really sure. No one really talks too much about it anymore, so I'm not sure what the you know capabilities are of modern. Yeah, we shall see eventually, but I don't think anyone's blasting holes at people with them. <laughs> um, Remember that was also a thing in uh, Real Genius, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that because they were developing this laser, and I think at the end they used it to like hit the guy's house and fill it with popcorn, right? That's, yeah. It was pretty strong, just sort of short range, yeah. So, um, I mean, Kratzi is villainous, but even he's sort of horrified and, you know, maybe feels like he went a little overboard uh, killing <laughs> this guy. Um, and you even get some touches of that, too, in, in conversation about the blackmail. It's like, it's like, I didn't just tell you to kill him. You know, it's like, well, I knew what you meant. You gave me that robot suit. You wanted him out of the way kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the it was pretty clear that Kratzi wasn't fighting at the end of the first issue. So yeah, why we never saw the guy who was piloting the other Max Armor and possibly killing the professor was like, yeah, unclear. And now we finally see him and he's, and he's dead. Yeah. And uh Jenny will probably never know. That's yeah. Right. So I mean before the guy stops steaming, uh then he realizes he's gotta go explain himself to the military uh for what happened to the death tank slash behemoth uh from last issue. So so we leave him and go back to the troubleshooters and we get the sequel to the strong arms, the strong legs, or Fastball. <laughs> Fastball. Let me point out like a, a quick uh, note in the panel before that where he says, um, watch out for the Blue Thunder Patrol. So Blue Thunder was a movie that came out a couple of years before this about a, a technologically advanced uh, helicopter. Oh. And it was, um, I think, pretty pretty straightforward. And But there was a 
a TV show based on it that only lasted like a half dozen episodes. But I'd like come across it a couple of years ago and then like my, my 80s nostalgia um, kick. Like, oh, Blue Thunder, let me check that out. And it, it, it sort of reminded me of uh, Spitfire and the Troubleshooters because you kind of had a person in a high-tech vehicle that, you know, with like this team around them that would sort of help solve crimes or solve technological issues and things like that. So I kind it, I kind of uh, liked that uh, show. It was you know, just a new universe of ABC or whatever at the time as it sort of came and went. But there was a similar show at the time called uh, Airwolf, I think. Yeah, I remember Airwolf. Yeah, it was something like that. And both of those, I have that sort of uh, what I would have expected Star uh, Spitfire to be like. Um, in terms of like how the kind of story would develop as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Any idea timeline wise, if those would be kind of like spins off of Knight Rider, was that sort of the prototypical one or were they all kind of, you that know, was, uh, yeah, was probably that. around the same time. I'm thinking 84 ish in there. Knight Rider so. doesn't, didn't have so much of the team aspect. He was a little more lone wolf with his, you know, talking car, but yeah, a support team is you. You can have like a comedy guy, a, like a smart guy, a tough guy, and you know, it, we don't really do that with the troubleshooters. But okay, not quite. Anyway. No, at least we haven't really. I mean the the troubleshooter with the with the um, fastball, quick legs here uh, seems to be maybe more of the jockish type, but maybe just barely. Maybe. So, but yeah, let's head back to, into the world of uh, fastball. Fastball. You know, my interest in sports medicine, stretching the capabilities of the human system. So yeah, just like with the arms, they, they've kind of decoded the technology from the suit uh, to take it to their advantage. So he's looks like he's wearing leg braces. I, I, honestly, I think they've, uh, they've made this technology now, uh, whether or not it's super practical or available. Betty's... Uh, has uh, leg braces that can push him up to like 140 miles per hour. I think they mentioned later, um, but then not to be uh, outdone, you've also has think tank, right? So <laughs> our female troubleshooters got uh, basically a, a helmet. It looks like it's got kind of the Google Google glasses uh, visor going on uh, that allows her to uh, hack into computers. Yeah, a direct cortical hookup to our lab computer, and then she gets a heads-up display, which is what they still call that, like in yep. military aspect. So, yeah, very thing. cyberpunk. Um, we've got our net runner, deck user, or whatever you want to call her. She'll nice. hack into a system now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know, she's bragging about that and kind of. Um, still limited right so it it only works on things that are connected by phone line right remember <laughs> the internet was connected by phone lines and you but I, I wish i could do that dial up noise you haven't heard in 10 years but i'm gonna um, save that audio and just play it over and over now <laughs> uh, 
We'll add it in post. We won't add it in post. We won't add it. <laughs> so yeah, it. This is where yeah you you see where they're going with the troubleshooters, which was not what I had expected in the beginning at all. But they're yeah sort of each taking an aspect of the Max armor and adapting it for their own personal. So they become a team, each of which has one part of a Max, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Not, not Voltron like at all. <laughs> they just need to combine. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, that gives me hope that Strong Arms comes back. I don't know if we heard that they recovered them or not from the train, or but presumably they could make more. But yeah, and yeah. we've got two more that can still make up their own. So I'm not quite sure what they'll have. Maybe a flyer. Yeah, jetpack, and then like. One with like the equipment, right? You know, the Max Armor's got a lot of tools that are sort of interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure uh, where they would go from here, but I guess we'll find out. Um, so yeah, she wants to go it alone. You know, she, uh, we've, we've seen this attempt before. You know, she's going to go break in. Uh, they found where the information is stored that can maybe incriminate Kratzi, um, but it, it's not on the net. So, you know, you can't just hack in and grab it. She's got to bust in and steal it. Uh, I think we could get some magnetic tape action later too, even. So, um, yeah. so they all want to jump in. They've got these new tools, but she's like, this is my responsibility. Uh, I'm doing it alone. Um, and, uh, you know, you guys got to stay behind as, as if the troubleshooters will stay behind. <laughs> Usually they beat her to the punch. <laughs> Uh, but again, she's sort of conflicted. Um, you know, she's maybe picking up on uh, Teresa. You know, giving her some side eye because she's sort of annoyed at uh, Giotti's love of Jenny Swenson Spitfire. Um, but really, you know, she she feels like she's crossing a line, but she's too far in, so she's going to cross the line. She's um, what is it? Dad meant Spitfire at, again, Max as a peaceful construction tool and i'm turning it into a kind of avenging metal angel i like that that's what she should have called herself i feel like there might be a little bit of foreshadowing there but anyway so you know we click back to kratzi international where now he has to kind of face the music with the department of defense and we got major benton who's not taking any of his excuses. So he's like, I want to know what happened to my tank. Um, he eventually, Kratzi thinks he can kind of spin it to his advantage in some way. So he actually shows him a picture of uh, the Max armor uh, wrecking the tank and tries to spin it as if, you know, you guys should investigate this organization that's destroying your government equipment. Uh, but it doesn't seem yeah. to quite go his way. Uh, the, yeah, this guy seems pretty straight shooter, um, or at least you don't think he's like a, at his own agenda. He's just kind of a, a honest cop, we'll call it, for the uh, military. Yeah, and uh, as he's walking out, you know, you're not off the hook yet, Kratzi, so he's feeling a little pressure. Then the private phone line rings, the line associated with the club. <laughs> <sighs> So, I mean, this poor man is, is both our vi villain per se, and also, you know, really terrified of whatever the club is. 
because he's picking up the phone in like dead sweats. <laughs> uh, we haven't retrieved the max yet, but uh, we'll get it to you in 72 hours. So it, it seems that uh, whether it was always uh, the problem, the the club is the one that has the interest in this technology. And so you know, he's sweating bullets trying to uh, <laughs> recover it. Uh, seems like his life is on the line. So after that, you know, again, get back to Jenny in the max armor. So she's breaking into this lab. Um, get a nice mention of DRAM, dynamic random access memory. <laughs> uh, so she's got blueprints in the max armor. Um, she's kind of in stealth mode, takes out a light, breaks out her uh, uh, laser welder, you know, puts a hole in the wall, you know, she's careful mentioning that she's being careful not to hit any structural walls and such but does basically land a big robot in the middle of there and, and make a giant hole in the wall i wonder if someone might notice that later <laughs> someone does um so yeah she she finds the records uh yeah so she's got that incriminating evidence uh, but then we cut back to uh major benton who's driving off and kind of annoyed um you know, his whole program with the tank is, is kind of get thrown into uh, chaos because of some random giant robot. Uh, but he's pretty sharp and he happens to notice a giant hole in the wall. Um, mm. So not one to send his driver in first. He pulls a gun and heads straight in, wondering what's up and complaining about the security. Um, I love the... Kratzi's security is a sieve. No one could be this incompetent. <laughs> Yeah, geez. Poor guy. <laughs> Starting to feel a little bad for Kratzi at this point, though. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> so she's got the got the tape, um, got the incriminating evidence, but he surprises her. So Major Benton busts in, surprises her, says, Freeze, hey, what are you? And but she freaks out essentially, um, you know, without conscious will, she does something she'll regret for the rest of her life. Uh, turns around and shoots a hole through the shoulder of uh, uh, Major Benton here. So it's no television shootout. It's no movie gunfight. The moment is real. The violence is real. The smell of burning flesh is real. The pain is real. I'm like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, this is uh, not like uh, Justice's Sword from issue one, but it is like Justice's Sword from issue two. So. Yeah. The horror is real so yeah not what she was planning on doing right so again this isn't you know fly in fly out you know dodge a few guards you know this is not going well uh, he's still alive though and, and groaning and she's like oh no i'm sorry oh my god what did i do you know but no sooner does that happen than you know a squad of guards open fire on the armor uh, through the opening and then basically just start unloading on her. Yeah, a lot of uh, people with machine guns all simultaneously. Uh... Yeah, so the armor's pretty bulletproof. Uh, it's, it's not really taking damage. You know, the, they're kind of commenting in the same way. It's, it's, I like that they're not faithless, faceless goons here, or you know, the security guards are all kind of talking to each other and almost sort of narrating the scene and like, what's going on here? We can't even dent this thing. Um, but yeah, so Crossy's security force uh, has busted her. 
she decides to basically just book it out of there. Um, Kratzi realizes what's going on. You know, the guards have reported to her, um, you know, and so he's crafting a plan to kind of intercept the armor as she, uh, Jenny's basically trying to escape without hurting any of the guards, uh, which is not necessarily the easiest thing to do when there's a ton of them uh, all aiming at you at the same time. Yeah, uh, it's uncertain how 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 long this armor is going to hold together. It's been gets damaged, so that flight is difficult pretty quickly. And then yeah, so that she's, she's trying to hold them off with desks, and they're like, "Well, hey, is this thing not actually trying to kill us?" But yeah, she flies off, gets shot. Uh, one of her leg rocket boosters, so, so it kind of crash lands uh, in front of the laser lab. So you get a nice little swinging door reveal. She lies there a full minute, catching her breath. Every bone aches, despite the max suit's protective foam padding. Finally, she stands and realizes she isn't alone. So I, I like the narration boxes. <laughs> Sometimes they're fun. Man. Yeah, they, they can do nice things. Um, so yeah, she's finally face to face with Kratzi himself. Hello, Jennifer. Believe me, I never wanted this, but you pushed me into a corner. I have no choice. So ever his lackey from before, um, you know, he gets his goon who had, I forget his name, but he was, he was the one piloting the tank last time uh, yeah. to fire Balin. the laser. Ah, thank you. Balin fires the laser. Um, the suit doesn't per se take damage, but it's, it's, the laser is purple. The suit's glowing purple. You know, they're keeping a steady beam on her and basically starting to superheat the thing. So yeah, it's a little less like obvious than just shooting into through her or something. It's yeah, guess, yeah, heating overheating it. <laughs> so yeah, again, the narration boxes are nice. You know, when she was three years old, Jenny tried to pick up a pot of boiling water on the kitchen stove. All she remembers from that experience is a sense of shock. Then a scalding pain in her hands that just would not go away. <laughs> Tonight, her entire body seems to burn with that scalding pain. <laughs> so maybe a little over the top, but I like it. Um, but uh, as we said, right, you're never going to leave those troubleshooters behind. So um, we've got Tim um, in the. I keep forgetting fastball. I, I like. I want to call it strong legs. <laughs> so. <laughs> Tim in the strong legs uh, in a full-on suit though now. So, you know, I'm not sure if he's got any other powers, but he's definitely in a full covered suit with a helmet. Um, kind of slips in there, recognizes that the doors that are open to the laser lab, you know, can provide a shield. Um, Jenny is trying to get rid of him. He's like, you're going to get yourself killed. He's like, he's like, you're the one that's going to get killed. Uh, so he kind of shuts the door, smacks Kratzi's head while he's doing it. It kind of knocks him down and, uh, you know, saves the suit, uh, much to the cheering troubleshooters, you know, minus Edward Giotti or Eduardo Giotti is still in the hospital. Uh, you know, everybody's cheering, cheering the guy on. So strong legs, not just confidence builders. They actually got the job done. <laughs> Unlike our poor strong arms, which didn't really accomplish anything, unfortunately. Yeah, I understand the the desire to have strong arms. If you're like, 
what part of the max armor would I like to have for me? But um, yeah, strong legs is, is, is a lot more potential probably. Yeah, if we had more space and if this were a movie, I think we would have gotten like a montage of him training with the legs and getting faster and faster each time and like, you know, whizzing by someone so fast. They're like, what was that? <laughs> so I'm just gonna have to imagine that that's happening in my head. You know, it's, uh, what is it? There's also a fast guy in uh, DP7. And um, so I, comparable powers, I mean, fastness is a significant advantage. And yeah, I get the impression that Jeff in DP7 is a lot faster, probably, though. Like, he can run to the next town over in not very long. But, uh, but yeah, we're not really sure. We don't have like the like trading card kind of like head to head max speed kind of things, which would be fun. Not yet. Well, Not yet. we'll have to work on about that. that. <laughs> let's take notes while we do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the actually costume is a good idea because the speed you can imagine, you know, without like glasses, some sort of eye protection, running right. at a hundred miles an hour pretty painful actually yeah i mean if bugs while motorcycle riding are a big enough issue imagine <laughs> super speed on the ground you'd be like ah that would be unpleasant um but yeah so there's still the guards to deal with uh, we get a nice another timely quote carl lewis eat your heart heart out of course the famous sprinter um probably got caught cheating later because they all did i think but i'm not sure um so yeah, again, Jenny's worried that Tim's gonna get hurt. Uh, you know, she kind of blasts the guards with some kind of foam uh, to rescue him from getting shot. Um, you know, essentially, uh, you know, they're down but not out. Uh, they manage to escape, um, not with one last throw of a shield-looking piece uh, to basically take out the laser lab. Though uh, um, Thalen has escaped without getting uh, decapitated, thankfully. So that I wasn't quite sure about that because it um, this the disc that she throws was maybe the power supply for the laser. Oh uh, yeah, I think that adds up because it seemed like earlier the the cord is coming out of that. So so I guess it, that loses an important piece though. Probably, and then so she loses her weapon, but she's uh, trying to. Uh, short circuit all the electronics and the um, the laser facility there 25 million worth of laser quite literally goes up in smoke so i guess we know what happened to the star wars program the robot program the remote tank program the star wars program damn it crotzy <laughs> club's not happy with any of this yeah he's just yeah i think he's, he's definitely kind of like a cover commander kind of role it's just <laughs> he's just gonna lose every time and something's gonna get blown up uh but yeah we, we we get sort of a happy ending here right so um jenny's still not quite happy uh you know she shot this major uh there's a bunch of violence you know it's not what her father would have wanted but you know she did require re recover the data everyone made it out okay um and uh, it was a successful mission, as far as we can tell. And our epilogue, <laughs> talking about, again, this is why I start to feel bad for him, even though he's you know, clearly not a good dude. <laughs> Talk about Fritz's home away from home uh, in Beacon Hill. 
of the house he bought. So he's going back home to his crash pad. Um, but then we run into our first member of the club. Crotzi uh, apparently has a butler too, but he's off screen. Uh, so we get, he gets accosted by uh, the classic villain kind of spinning around in his chair to face you like, aha, I am here. <laughs> Uh, your associates in the club didn't quite approve of the way you handled the Swenson affair. They sent me to clean up the mess and you. <laughs> he just needs like a cat to like be stroking on his lap when he's telling them this. Which would have been Kratzi's cat probably too. So it would have been an extra insult. It's like, I, your cat is my friend. You are doomed. Uh, so he introduces himself as Arun Bhakti. But to my friends in the terrorist network and to the pigs of Interpol, I am known by another name, Steelhawk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so uh, the good Middle Eastern name plus like a code name. Yeah, not to be confused with Cyhawk. <laughs> or um, Mindwolf. Mindwolf. I, I feel like Mindwolf could be a contemporary of Steelhawk. But I don't know. They probably don't go in the same circles. <laughs> cool. So yeah, that, that's that's it. Uh, we end on his creepy grinning face. Next issue, turnabout. Turnabout. So something so. is going to be turned about. Someone will steal something from Spitfire and the Troubleshooters, perhaps. Yeah. So. I don't know. We had a, um, we also had a mention of the DSA. I, I forget it. We mentioned, brought that up, but the Defense Security Agency, I think that's what Benson works, Benton worked for. Okay. So not, not the NSA, but the DSA. Well, not the NSA. NSF either. The lasers, they're probably, yeah, that would be more of a government uh, army sort of grant. So, Wasted um, by Kratzi's shoddy security shockingly is is Kratzi really an working for the enemy agents because no one could be this bad at what he does he had a ton of armed guards but they all just must have been watching tv or something <laughs> i mean it's yeah i don't know the the wall she took out to get inside maybe was um conveniently located outside the guards view but inside the traveling the passing jeeps view so yeah should have put the piece of wall back in i guess but wouldn't be so easy <laughs> but yeah on the whole uh you know this one's definitely moving the story along more the i'm not sure how much longer Kratzi has to live and do we move on to a next series of sort of escalating villains already um you know just as she's gotten this incriminating evidence now is it kind of useless because he's off the map now or uh, maybe he'll just have to live for a couple more issues being threatened by steelhawk <laughs> Steelhawk. yeah between Kratzi killing the bronson and then being threatened in turn it's like it feels less like spitfire is even involved it's like I'm just going to sit here and they'll all kill each other. And I guess I'll be justified in the end. I don't know. Um, it, yeah, the, the 
pacing is still kind of is moving along. I, I feel like we should be coming up to a climax here soon. So we'll see how that goes. Yes, there are a lot of words in this comic. <laughs> and uh, I tried to skip. I tried to hit all of the important points, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of dialogue, kind of a lot of inner monologuing, a lot of yeah. Yeah, the the memories the from the narration boxes of when you were three and all this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's it's moving along. That's that's all you can ask for in some some regards. Um, the troubleshooters' new direction is interesting. Um, they still don't have a lot of personality, and to yeah. be honest, Jenny herself is still kind of angry and morally conflicted because it seems that her father was a big pacifist so every time she takes the strikes a blow against Kratzi she's like dishonoring his memory also so yeah in previous issues she would kind of get mad and then that was the catalyst to you know tip the tank over or defeat the other max armor and things like that and this one it was more of like troubled and uh yeah but she never had that angry moment it was more just you know being afraid or worried or trying to protect the troubleshooters or you know oh, oh my gosh i just shot this guy so she's 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 dealing with the problems of the violence yeah that's i mean that's all reasonable yeah it's, um, it's a good book okay no strong arms this issue this, the the strong legs the fast ball, which I don't like that name, but I guess they're sticking with it, uh, was not as fun as overconfident Eduardo, but <laughs> I guess they learned their lesson. Think Tank is good um, ish. Yeah. So, um, we've still got like two more troubleshooters. We'll see if they, what they do next, next issue, if we get more, more fun like this. Um, yeah, definitely hoping for more nicknamed robo parts. That's a highlight. Cool. Yeah, as, as far as grade for this one, I can go first. I I don't remember what I gave last time. I know I really liked the, the arms and the battle with the tank. Yeah, it's a good book. It's definitely readable. Um, you know, my brain says B. Uh, I'll, I'll take a B too. It's a press, uh, you know, it, it's whatever hopes we had in the beginning for, for you know, it, we, after three issues, we've adjusted to, okay, so this is what the writers had in mind. Okay, that's still a reasonable entertainment. Um, we'll, we'll ride it out. And uh, I like the premise. The story's okay, right? The characters are okay, right? There's not huge standout characters in it. Uh, or even like the fun sort of one-off characters per se but uh yeah the, i think the, the premise so far is solid and they're sticking to it and uh it's interesting to see where they go things seem like they might escalate with the club and maybe we run into uh, maybe even our first paranormal in the comic i'm not sure it will be interesting yeah if we get some powers because you know this is uh that's a viable um, opponent is to fight someone who's a paranormal. And so they, they, they already had a crossover with Starbrand. 
Um, so yeah, more more interaction with the uh, new universe uh, and the specific threats in that will be interesting. So, yeah, crossover so. and brief scolding from Starbrand. <laughs> that was that was our only crossover so far. Yeah, yeah, is uh, the great uh, moral lecture from our leader Ken Connell. <laughs> I gotta go uh, get on some more girls. Um, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I maybe mean, the kill count for Merck. I don't. Know, maybe we should do the uh, the flirt count for Ken Connell <laughs> or something. It's like, I feel like this is probably the peak for that. It's, it's hard yeah. to uh, ogle more ladies than he did this time around, but yeah, you never yeah, know. I guess the 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 woman in his uh, garage. He didn't hit on her. No. Um, and some didn't quite hit on the hostess at the restaurant, though it was, was talked about. This, yeah, I mean, perhaps because his friend was already hitting on him. But I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so next up on the podcast would be Cyforce and, and Night Mask, Nightmask. issue three. You don't have the blurbs for those handy, do you? I do not. Yeah, because they're not in the, these issues. They'd be in the next round. So yeah, with next issues, we'll start the next publishing month, we'll call it. And so a new uh, bunch of blurbs, hopefully, for, for to see. And we'll see what's going on in the rest of the Marvel Universe just as, as we pass it by, hopefully. Come for the blurbs, stay for the rest of the Marvel Universe. All righty. Is that it for this week? I think that's it. All righty. Next week, we'll see you back at the Spinner Rack. I'm Steven. And Andy, signing off.